In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Behold, I am making all things new, says God in today's vision from the Revelation to John. This theme of recreation, of making all things new in and through Christ, is central to John's gospel. It's a new day, the evangelist proclaims, when, unlike the other gospel writers, he places Jesus' symbolic overturning of the corrupt temple establishment at the beginning of his ministry rather than in the last week of his life, as it is in the other gospels. By overturning the money changers' tables and driving out those who were selling animals, Jesus indicated that he had come to clean house, so to speak, to bring about a new world that operated according to different standards. This new day is also symbolized by the first of Jesus' miracles in John's Gospel, the changing of water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. The steward of that feast points to more than beverages when he says to the bridegroom, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. With Jesus comes new wine, different wine, the best wine. The last scene in John's Gospel, that post-resurrection banquet on the Galilean beach, about which we read a couple of Sundays ago, points to a new age in which church members will love and serve each other just as the Lord loved and served them, following the new commandment given in today's gospel, the commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us. Not only John, but the other gospel writers picked up on Jesus' message that a new beginning in people's relationships with God and each other was at hand. Jesus called it the kingdom of God, a radical alternative to the way the world normally operated. In the accounts of Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew Mark, and Luke, <clears throat> after Jesus has been banqueting with many who were considered disreputable, he tells a parable about not putting, <clears throat> excuse me, not putting new wine into old wineskins. His followers, he indicated, would be making a significant break with their past and with the ways of the world around them. Easter shook the world to its foundations, vindicating the way of the cross, making it possible for love, justice, and peace to prevail as never before, and opening the door to the new heaven and earth, which John foresaw in his mystic vision. This sounds lovely. But it was and is unsettling, to say the least. Peter found himself reeling in the aftermath of Easter, when, as we read today, God sanctioned a new approach, a whole new approach to people. The apostle Peter still leaned toward the ancient idea that some people are better and more favored by God than others. But God showed him the divine intention to bring all together, Jew and Gentile, into one family based on faith and on mutual love 
and self-giving. To his credit, Peter could not deny the evidence that God's spirit and God's plans extended far beyond what he had previously imagined. He went with the new program, so to speak. But this is not always easy. In fact, it's usually hard. Jesus knew our resistance, even to positive change, when after the parable about not putting new wine into old wineskins, he remarked, and this is just in Luke, no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. Established, privileged people throughout the ages, among whom I count myself, have not wanted the boat to be rocked by significant change. After all, we have it pretty good as things are, <clears throat> and we fear that even change that promises to be positive could end up bringing unwelcome consequences. So we tend to dig in our heels, as church authorities did in Rome when Martin Luther and others advocated significant, significant reform of the Western church in the 16th century. What a missed opportunity that was. If the Pope and other church leaders had been like Peter in today's reading and paid attention to the signal that God was sending, not only through reformers who ultimately turned their backs on Rome, but through reformers who remained, the church might have witnessed to Christ more effectively, exhibiting greater unity and meeting people's spiritual needs more effectively. Instead, Dissension and division gave rise to hatred and often through the centuries, bloodshed. Giving a little and even changing at the prompting of the Spirit can be a good thing. The witness of the church in our own day, of course, has often been marred by the refusal of many to budge from traditional views that relegate women and openly gay people and in some places people of color to the margins of church life. From my point of view, this is another instance of the church often failing to heed signals from God, who is always doing a new thing, trying often through prophetic voices to draw us into a truer, indeed more truly biblical walk with God, in which we let the living God lead us where we might not otherwise choose to go. <clears throat> One such prophetic voice who faced a lot of opposition is that of Rachel Held Evans, one of our Insights speakers here at Trinity, who died recently at the tragically early age of 37. What a legacy she leaves. The Atlantic Magazine describes her as part of a vanguard of progressive Christian women who fought to change the way Christianity is taught and perceived in the United States. While holding traditional theology about Jesus, giving us victory over sin and death and binding us together in one family, Rachel refused to accept that things are as they should be in the church. In her latest book, she insists, that Christian life is a true adventure involving revelation and struggle, God always doing a new thing, which will take us far beyond complacent acceptance of things as they are. 
she wrote, What I love about the Bible is that the story isn't over. There are still prophets in our midst. There are still dragons and beasts. It might not look like it, but the resistance, capital R, the resistance to the forces of evil, the dragons and the beasts, is winning. The light is breaking through. So listen to the weirdos. Listen to the voices crying from the wilderness. They are pointing us to a new king and a better kingdom. As Jesus said, let those with ears hear. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, Rachel would tell us, so that we might relate to God and each other in a better, more life-giving way than we have done. It speaks well for our own Episcopal Church that Rachel chose this as her spiritual home, sensing, no doubt, that we had been listening to God and changing the way we operate in amazing ways in recent decades, especially considering our staid and established roots. But Rachel would probably be the first to say that we are not yet where we need to be, either in our devotion to God or in our relations with each other. God is continuing to do a new thing, not only in the Episcopal Church at large, but here at Trinity Cathedral. Perhaps our greatest temptation, when many of us are and have been so happy here, is to think that we have arrived, that we are already as God wants us to be. Perhaps as we search for a new dean and try to discern where the Spirit is leading us, we will see a parallel between our own situation and that of St. James's Church, Madison Avenue in New York, several years ago. Everything seemed like it was going fine at that prestigious Manhattan parish. They had four services on Sunday, thriving formation offerings for all ages, and intensive outreach to those in need, both at home and abroad. What was not to like? When parishioners were asked what they loved about St. James's, they always spoke first about the sense of community they found there. This is great, of course, but almost no one said anything about God or spiritual growth. Of course, we Episcopalians are kind of shy about that anyway. People valued, no doubt, their connections with God and the church, but often these connections were not central to their day-to-day -day lives. To take the parish to the next level, its leaders, both clergy and lay, perceived that they had to reorient themselves so that everything the parish did was, in some way or other, focused on creating and forming disciples who were defined as parishioners who wanted to follow Jesus and take up the call to love God with their whole heart and mind and strength and their neighbor as themselves. Following a particular renewal program, St. James's began to achieve this reorientation. They found that more and more of their members were moving from exploring and growing in the life of faith to deepening their discipleship and being centered in Christ. This focus began to shape all aspects of their life together, including stewardship, how they use their time, talent, and treasure. 
the more they centered their lives on Christ, the more they were giving in every respect. Like St. James's and all other parts of the church, we here are a work in progress, and we are individually works in progress through the grace of God. All we have to do is to bear even more abundant fruit is to put our trust in God the Holy Trinity and follow Christ at the prompting of the Spirit. Of course, easier said than done. But we call ourselves Trinity Cathedral as a, as a sign of where we're supposed to be connected and headed. I close with one of the prayer book's most powerful prayers, which we say every Good Friday and at all ordinations. It points to the new day that God keeps bringing in and through us. Let us pray. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.